This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. So, as you guys know better than anybody, um, there's potentially an infrastructure bill on the agenda for Congress this year. Today, we'll talk about the current state of water and transportation infrastructure in America and begin addressing the question of what is actually broken. Um, and what can we do beyond additional spending to help fix underlying problems in our approach to funding and financing transportation and water infrastructure? Uh, more specifically, we will talk about policies that promote and deter investment and maintenance of U.S. transportation and water infrastructure, uh, today's infrastructure funding and finance landscape, and what Congress can do to better align public spending, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to align policy and spending to our public priorities. Um, I'm very delighted to invite, uh, to introduce our speaker today, um, Deborah Notman. Deborah is a former professional staff member at the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and a former Deputy Assistant Secretary for Water and Science in the Department of the Interior. She's currently a principal researcher at the RAND Corporation and a professor at the Party RAND Graduate School. She served as Vice President and Director of the RAND Infrastructure Safety and Environment Program uh, later renamed to be the Justice Infrastructure and Environment Program. Uh, Deborah's expertise is in hydrology, environmental and natural resources policy, systems analysis and operations research, and public administration. Her project work has spanned a range of topics, including adaptation of urban regions to a changing climate, long-term water management, po uh, policy options for the disposition of nuclear waste, and governance and funding for the U.S. Gulf Coast recovery. Um, so with all of that said, I'm very happy to introduce Deborah to start today's briefing. Thank you, Jamie, and welcome, everyone. Well, um, I hope I've gotten your attention with this uh, title, Not Everything is Broken. Um, it refers to the infrastructure itself, but it also could refer to the funding and the financing mechanisms used in the U.S., uh, to, to build and maintain infrastructure. Now, this is not to say we don't have problems, and most of what I'm going to talk about is about the problems, but I want to get this first point down, because for, for, uh, when, you, when you are talking about everything being broken, you end up not having priorities, and priorities, setting priorities are really a theme of this, this study. So as Jamie said, we focused on water, and transportation infrastructure, and this is surface transportation, water resources, drinking water, wastewater utilities is the focus of our report. There's, of course, many other uh, infrastructure types, but these are the areas where the uh, public sector dominates. So close to, in just the water and wastewater utilities, 95, 96% of the funding is, is um, state and local and, and nearly 90% of that, 99% is, is public spending. So the private uh, role is, is fairly minimal here. Uh, there are other sectors, energy, telecommunications and the like that are of course uh, almost entirely uh, private. Uh, just so you know, this is a picture of the Chickamauga Lock and Dam in Tennessee on the Tennessee River, uh, just east, east of uh, Chattanooga. I put it up here because it's both water and transportation infrastructure, a lock for 
uh, navigation purposes. This was a New Deal project, uh, opened in 1940. It's in uh, serious disrepair. Uh, repairs started in 2003, stopped, started, started, uh, stopped, and started again. Now the repairs are scheduled to be completed in 2023. So in some ways, it's an embodiment of what's not working in, uh, in our current system. So as I said, the bottom line really is that uh, our US infrastructure needs are significant. We have a hard time quantifying just what that means. Um, but uh, we do have serious needs uh, across the country. And uh, uh, this really, uh, it's, it is hard, though, to, really, to characterize uh, the nature of the needs. You've seen some big numbers that have been thrown out uh, into the public domain by American Society of Civil Engineers and others talking about $2 trillion worth of backlog and, and, and needs. We have no idea if those, what the credibility really is of those numbers. They certainly focus attention, and what we were trying to do with this study is try to get a little bit more uh, uh, down into the detail of what is actually going on and where the, where the needs are. Um, uh, we think if you identify actual needs, then you can get your money directed to, uh, to the places where it matters most. And this is sort of as opposed to what's sometimes referred to as the peanut butter spreading approach of if you think you've got a huge problem, well, it doesn't matter what your priorities are, where you just spread the money around. Um, and this is, uh, we strongly advise uh, not thinking of the problem in that, in that way. So our uh, main message here is to focus on what's actually broken on the funding, financing, and policy side. Those are areas we actually have a better way of analyzing and understanding of what's working and not working. And you get those pieces right, the infrastructure fixing will, will happen. Uh, so priority setting, got, uh, diagnosing problems, uh, identifying the sources of those problems, clarifying what the federal role is, which is really something you all need to be uh, focused on, and then setting priorities at the national level. So why revisit this issue now? Well, this was certainly a topic in the, um, in the uh, run-up to the election, the presidential election. President Trump has uh, announced his intentions uh, to address infrastructure. But uh, you know, we're at a very different time now than we were last time Congress took this up, largely in 2009 as part of the uh, uh, stimulus package. There, the idea was to inject large sums of, of uh, federal dollars into the economy as quickly as possible. And infrastructure was a big piece of that uh, program. Uh, and so long-term needs were not the priority. The priority was stimulus. We're in a different place now. And we have a, an opportunity to take this longer-term view. This is one of these areas of public policy that is difficult for our democratic system, frankly, to, to cope with because of the long-term nature of, uh, of the investment um, and the vision that's required. Uh, we have emerging technologies, uh, 
not only on transportation with autonomous vehicles, all sorts of other types of uh, changes in the way transportation services are being used. Uh, we've got sensing equipment that can do a much better job than just visual inspection as to what, in fact, what kind of repairs are needed. Uh, so whatever we're doing going forward should be mindful of these changes uh, that are going on and the opportunities they present. We also have very different needs across this country depending on region. We have different needs for urban areas versus rural areas. And whatever is done now going forward ought to be reflective of, uh, of those changing needs. Some of you are probably don't recall the Bureau of Reclamation, just as an example, was set up in the turn of the 20th century to develop and irrigate lands in what was called the Great American Desert. That's the Western United States, most of the, of the West. We still have a Bureau of Reclamation. We don't need to be doing that. That's not the mission of that agency anymore. So there's a chance to really rethink what we're doing uh, and why, what the federal government's doing and why it's doing it. And finally, there's a lot going on just in, uh, we have a, a changing climate. Uh, we've seen just in the 2017, uh, NOAA came out with an estimate that uh, $307 billion were spent on federal disaster assistance in 2017 alone. Uh, we have vulnerable areas not only in the coast, along the coastlines, but in areas that are ex experiencing other extreme weather. And this has to also factor into the way we design, build, and set priorities among our, uh, our infrastructure. Let me just quickly talk about uh, the questions. I'm going to talk about sort of the questions we asked in the study and the methods we used, uh, give you just a snapshot of some of the trends in funding and finance, and also point out with one example why needs assessments are, are good for some things but not so good for actually guiding policy. And, uh, and then just sample, give you a sample of a few of the uh, recommendations that uh, we make at the end of our uh, the RAND study. So we addressed three questions here. Um, first of it looked at this in, some, in kind of market terms. Is there a demand for infrastructure um, and is it being met under prevailing arrangements for funding and finance and uh, is is if it's not, if that demand's not being met, why not? Um, what are efficient and equitable ways of, of identifying and acting on these regional and national priorities, in both transportation and, uh, and water? And finally, what kinds of strategies uh, would be most effective at fixing what's broken? Now, we, this was, we kind of approached this as something of a, of a a primer uh, to, to give a, a broad view of what's going on in both transportation and water infrastructure. Uh, as we said, we honed in on these two areas because of their uh, the dominance of the public sector. Um, we drew on existing uh, data and literature as much as possible. We relied heavily on Congressional Budget Office report from 2015 that focused on those two areas of public spending, transportation and water, and uh, did a lot of the uh, 
uh, refining of the data. So uh, that's most of what you'll see in, in some of the slides to come. And then we looked at uh, how we got to where we are in current transportation and water funding. We looked at uh, current state of policy and, uh, and then uh, identified some possible future uh, changes. This is a 60-year view of uh, spending. This is total public spending for transportation and water infrastructure combined. Um, and the blue line is, is the total. The red line is capital spending. Green line, operations and maintenance. The distinction, of course, is the operation and maintenance spending is an annual recurring uh, type of uh, activity to keep uh, keep infrastructure or facility in good working order, in good repair. Capital spending is either for a new facility or a major uh, uh, rehabilitation or modernization of an existing facility. And what you see is, uh, in terms of total spending, we were things were going up and then they leveled off. You can see where the stimulus packages uh, came in in 2009. The green line for O&M has been rising steadily. Uh, but we don't know if that's the right slope of the line. It's probably not, uh, given the, the vast stock and uh, asset inventory that we, that we have. And clearly, capital spending in red is going down. This is the same information, but broken out by federal spending versus state and local spending. And the thing to focus on here is the difference between total state and local spending and federal spending. And total state and local spending is three times the federal spending across these three infrastructure types. Um, what you see also is that federal spending on uh, operation and maintenance has always been low. The premise has been in most federal programs that operation and maintenance costs would be borne by state and local governments, not by the federal government, even when the feds were putting capital uh, into projects. Uh, just pulling out the highway portion of that uh, total, um, you see uh, lots of uh, peaks and valleys here. This is, again, over the 60-year period. And uh, operation and maintenance, real low. But what you see is the reflection of uh, the, um, the unevenness with which funding has been coming through uh, for this program. This is hard, again, taking the long view. This is not best practice uh, by any stretch as to how to run a capital program. You don't want so many zigs and zags. You've got to be take, it's hard to plan, certainly hard for local, state and local partners. Another way to look at it, uh, at spending trends over time is per capita spending. You see federal per capita spending, which is cap capturing something of, you know, how even though we've got increasing population, how's the spending keeping up? It's been relatively flat. Another way to look at these numbers is looking at it in terms of spending per uh, GDP, gross domestic product. In the aggregate, again, this is capturing all spent, all federal, state, and local spending uh, over this period. And you can see, uh, you know, it's been, it depends on how, you know, how you interpret some of these, uh, these dips and um, in the, uh, in the spending trend, but you know, overall, it's not that far off. However, you've got to remember, a half a percentage of GDP is something like 90, $95 billion. So 
you can move the needle here by substantial spending, but that gives you an idea of what it would take to get this number back up, let's say, above 2.5%. One of our messages here is it's fine to talk about spending in the aggregate, but you really do need to get down to the individual infrastructure sectors and, and understand the nuance of what's going on in each of these program, uh, each of these areas. Clearly, when the uh, federal highway program was uh, initiated in 1956 and the interstate highway system uh, started uh, const when construction really started in earnest. You see a big spike. It's leveled off over the last several decades. Uh, you know, pretty uh, flat uh, by and large for the, uh, the other in infrastructure types. I thought this would be helpful. This, is, this comes from a Pew study, and, and uh, I thought this is a helpful way of just disaggregating to see where the money is coming from just on the transportation side. Again, you see 75%, 76, 74% of the money roughly is coming from state and local governments, federal government uh, coming in uh, through the spending expenditures out of the Highway Trust Fund and topping off being topped off with other sources. Uh, but this gives you a sense of how the money flows. I wanted to talk about uh, the municipal bond market because given the very large role the state and local governments are playing here in maintaining transportation and water infrastructure, they've got to get their money from somewhere. And it's coming either through funding from their uh, tax base uh, through dedicated uh, taxes or fees, user fees, and they, also, they borrow money. Um, they borrow money and then pay off the, the, those loans with those various sources. What you can see in this chart is that uh, after the financial crisis in 2009, 2010, uh, the municipal bond market had tanked, um, but it, uh, it's resilient. It came back up. Um, there could be all sorts of reasons that this has happened, of course, but what it's showing is this is a resilient uh, market, and uh, there's probably a lot that could be even bigger. There's been a lot of talk about the role of the private sector, and as I said, we selected these two infrastructure sectors because of uh, the, the dominance of the, of the uh, of, uh, federal, state, and local governments. Uh, but I, it's really important, I think, to, to talk about where the private sector could play a role. Um, and I, I mentioned before the, the current spending, private spending, uh, that's, that's, that's happening in these two sectors is around 1%. It's a very small number right now. Uh, so there's lots of room to grow, uh, but it also, one has to understand why it's such a small number uh, to, to uh, make that uh, change. Start with an economic development activity. Basically, you're splitting the world into two, uh, two different op uh, choices, or bounded by two, two different uh, uh, possibilities. One, you've got clearly defined users, and they're able and willing to pay for the use of that infrastructure service. And that's a, a very attractive proposition for private uh, enterprise. And that's, of course, what we have with our cable. It's what we have with our electricity systems and lots of other uh, public uh, services. We also have the, uh, the, the situation where we've got very diffuse public benefits, um, where uh, it's just not 
easy to capture the users, uh, you know, think about a public park or something like that. Um, and it, there's no market, there's no rationale for private investment in those areas. But what's important to know is there's a whole continuum here. And, and the continuum is what is uh, often referred to as the, 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 the region ripe for public-private partnerships, PPPs. And uh, there's, there's probably, uh, not probably, we, uh, what we say in the report is that there are many opportunities where public-private partnerships could be uh, facilitated and uh, incentivized more than current, current practice. Um, I wanted to talk about needs assessments because you, you hear these numbers uh, thrown around a lot. Uh, they end up in everyone's talking points. This is a map showing the percent of structurally deficient bridges by county. And it was compiled by, uh, by DOT. Uh, it's, it's a database that's online. Um, and what you see is the darker areas are where the problems are. Um, there are not, lots of observations one can draw from this. For one, this is not an even distribution, okay? Second, you see a high concentration in the upper Midwest. These are agricultural areas with lots of bridges built in uh, decades and decades ago for much smaller vehicles and for uh, smaller loads. And many of those bridges are not up to um, standards for, for carrying heavy, heavier loads. Uh, there's some states like Texas, the uh, Pacific Northwest, they have no, virtually no red uh, on, on them at all. Um, so Iowa alone has 10% of the nation's structurally deficient bridges, uh, which is numbering something like 60,000. But another important thing to know is this whole the database was constructed by visual inspections of bridges. That's the standard. But the visual inspections of bridges may not be the particularly reliable way of identifying where there are real structural deficiencies and could be off by a considerable amount. There's a whole business sector out there in the business of uh, sensing, of selling sensing equipment to uh, uh, public entities so that they can get better diagnoses of what their actual deficiencies are. And there's reason to think this is an overestimate. Uh, just quickly, I, this is a kind of a life cycle diagram of an infrastructure project. You start with a, a new investment. You sustain that over time. If you do, do your sustainment well and follow best practice, that infrastructure can last for a very long time. But you often get to a point where you've got to make some decision about whether to uh, rehabilitate it, modernize it, or perhaps let it go, uh, just dismantle it. That's a tough, that's the tough decision uh, that often is where when people talk about delays and you can't get permits to do this and that, it's often in that area where there's simply not a public consensus about which way, which way to go. So it's, it's a non-trivial point. But um, anyhow, that it's, it's important to kind of know where, where you are and when you're trying to fix policy, where you are in this cycle and what you're, what, which points you're going to affect. So let me just wrap up with uh, a summary of a couple of our uh, options, uh, recommendations that we make in the report. Um, and I encourage you to look at the, the full report to, to see them all. But, uh, 
targeting long-term priorities I, is really the top uh, line uh, recommendation here. And the focus on long-term priorities should be on national benefits. That's the justification for spending money, spending federal money. Now, there, you know, there, there are various rationales for a federal role, and this is something that, that Congress is going to need to sort out uh, when, at such time, it takes up uh, infrastructure. Uh, at the very early stages of, uh, of uh, the country's history, Inland waterways was, was one of the very first acts of Congress was to authorize uh, in harbor improvements and waterways it, for interstate commerce, very clearly justified and, and supported by, by the Constitution. Um, the interstate highway system came about in the mid-50s because General Eisenhower and then President Eisenhower knew he couldn't even move troops around the U.S. prior to World War II. The roads were in terrible shape. And, and that's, those are examples, and I told, mentioned the Bureau of Reclamation of really trying to develop the arid west of the United States. Um, those are examples of big, long-term visions. Question is, what are, what's our vision going, going forward? Um, and, and there's a real opportunity here to, to think about what we want that world to look like. Um, this is a way to increase economic uh, benefit. There's also uh, more than uh, just cause to uh, set a high priority on improving the maintenance of federal assets, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 115 to 120 billion. That's been estimated by, um, by the Treasury Department. Uh, it's particularly severe in the Defense Department following sequestration where maintenance budgets were cut severely. Um, and so they're not doing the regular maintenance. And I think you all know from your own houses uh, or apartments, if you don't maintain something, after a while the costs of fixing it grow. And the government sees this uh, all the time. We have uh, dams. We have our national parks. Have There's a large backlog for the parks. Uh, many other vital federal infrastructure uh, that that should needs to be tended to. The agencies need to be put on asset management plans, uh, and they need the funding to to support that. It's really penny wise, pound foolish to defer maintenance, and that's what we're doing. Finally, our uh, third third air collection of uh, recommendations we make relates to resilience, uh, primarily to uh, natural disasters. Uh, the, the point here is that we spend so much money on federal disaster relief, a good bit of that, we don't know exactly how much, uh, could be reduced, that spend and the need for the spending could be reduced if the infrastructure could withstand, was really built to handle, for example, higher, more intense, uh, uh, rainfall, precipitation events. It's the story of Houston. Uh, we're going to see this in virtually every city along the coast. If you go to Norfolk or you go to South Florida, these are all areas that, and these, the local governments know what they need to do. This is, I think, an area that the federal government could actually be uh, very helpful in encouraging. Um, this is Quick fixes are, are not going to be cost effective. 
There's been a lot of talk about uh, streamlining uh, the regulatory review process and pointing to that as a major source of delay and a problem with this supply and demand that I mentioned in the very beginning. Um, this is a controversial area and one where there actually are not good data. And whatever is done here should be evidence-based. But I think there's been a long history of, uh, of administration, certainly of both sides of the aisle, uh, looking at how to make the federal government side of the permitting process be more efficient. And there's ample opportunity to do that. Another way to gain efficiency is to revisit some of our old agencies that were developed for a purpose long since past uh, and think about what they should be doing, what their mission should be going forward. And we make a recommendation that the Corps of Engineers and Bureau of Reclamation should actually be combined into a national water agency that would uh, bring the same set of technical services, uh, expertise, and interstate and regional uh, view uh, across the country. So uh, just to wrap up, uh, there are problems. Even though we say not everything's broken, that is to highlight the fact that there are things that are broken that need to be fixed, um, that we need to have a national debate about national priorities rather than uh, simply viewing this as a spending issue. And will the spending, the federal spending, can be much more effective. Um, finally, you know, whatever policy changes uh, Congress does choose to make, there should be some clear goals here of encouraging innovation, of, uh, of, of really thinking of investment over the long term as opposed to just uh, patchwork uh, fixes and, and instituting and becoming good stewards of the assets that uh, the federal government has. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.